Hey, Pride Talk listeners, Nancy Rommelman here. It's New Year's Eve morning. It's 8 o'clock in the morning. And, well, I guess it's inevitable. You know, the New Year's turns, we're supposed to ring it in. And sometimes we do. Sometimes we have wonderful parties where we dance till 2 o'clock in the morning. And we deeply kiss someone that we deeply love. And sometimes we're asleep. At midnight, I wish I could find this old New Yorker cartoon. It's um, of a couple drawing, an older couple in front of a cityscape. And you can see in the background the yay and all the all the fireworks and everything. And they're sitting in their chairs with their party hats sound asleep. I have certainly been asleep sometimes at midnight. Don't think I will be this year, though. I will be midtown with some friends. Nothing, nothing too crazy. Just uh, some enjoyment with some people uh, at 12 o'clock. But I was going to say that it is inevitable we start thinking about change. And I was thinking about change this morning and how that too is inevitable. Um, But don't worry, I am going to also give you a recipe and I'm going to give you a recipe for something that I think is um, small and sexy and which is something that I have at least once um, instead of ringing in the new year with a bunch of people or a party or even just down in my own living room, um, have eaten in bed with uh, a loved one uh, ringing in the new year, a very sexy little chocolate cake. But before we get to that, I just thought I would talk a little bit about um, about change. So you know how we all sometimes spend time on our uh, social medias of choice, uh, media. Uh, I don't know what yours is. Mine is certainly Twitter. I'm not on TikTok. I'm on Facebook exclusively only when I'm doing research for a story because that's where you find people. I have had to find people's mothers often and moms are on Facebook um, because they're older, I guess. And anyway, um, I am not on Pinterest. I check it on Instagram, but I am on Twitter a lot, a lot. Uh, And, you know, you see fun things and you see silly things. Um, So, I have a friend, and I'm going to talk about him in a second. And he had something, and I'll, I'll put a link here where you—it's a—it's a deck of tarot cards that's going fast, 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 fast. And it says, you know, click it twice, screenshot it twice, and that's going to be your new year. And um, I clicked it, and it, so I—I I don't know tarot cards. I don't really know what any of them mean, and I know they kind of don't mean what you think they mean. Like death can actually be be good. I don't know, but I got two cards, and they were the star and temperance. And basically it meant that I'm going to be pouring a lot of water in the new year. But I did read a little bit about them and it was just to be patient and which I definitely, my God, need. If I could buy a piece of clothing that made you patient, (laughs) you could just like slip it on like a force field. That would be great. But it's a good reminder. And also to, um, I guess there's a lot of munificence coming and um maybe that's so uh, um but sometimes it requires some rejiggering of how you how you think that is and what your role is in it is um sarah and i have talked on smoke several times and it's been a conversation amongst my friends and i uh since october 7th especially which is to be of use um so maybe stop thinking so much about yourself in the center of things just as a as a means um, to get whatever it is out there, whether it's a story um, or a chocolate cake, which I'm going to give you in a little bit. Uh, as some of you know, I'm going to Israel on January 15th. I'm going for two weeks. I've been really, really, really busy with work and with travel and have not had a lot of time to devote 
to exactly what it is I'm going to be doing there, but I did get some of that in place yesterday. And, um, and then also just thinking about leaning into being patient, being patient um, and finding the stories. But I was going to say a little something about uh, the person who had up on his Twitter the little tarot thing. His name is Ken Lane. He has a podcast that he's been doing for years, really a radio show not a podcast, a radio show that he um, he does from out in the desert, lives in California, called Desert Oracle. I, I love this program, and Ken also has one of the most spectacular voices you'll ever hear. Um, during the pandemic, when I was flying back and forth quite a lot to Portland, because we were in the midst of selling our house and getting rid of a lot of stuff. And we were, I was living in a house that had basically a bed, uh, two forks, two spoons, two bowls, so, you know, pot to cook some, I don't know, pot to make some steak in or some pot, a pan and um, a coffee pot. And it was a, it was kind of a different, difficult time. It was also the pandemic and sometimes I couldn't sleep and I would very quietly or with my earbuds in um, listen to Ken just have his shows, which are by turns absolutely hilarious and really profound. And uh, I'd never met Ken, and he is a dear friend of Matt Welch's. They've known each other for years and years, and they knew each other in Eastern Europe, and um, they've known each other and had many, many projects writing and personal together. And I did wind up going out and seeing Ken earlier in the year for the first time and just adored him. And then Actually, he made, no, actually, he came and stayed with me first. I had never even met him. He came and stayed here in my apartment because there's like a, there's like a two sections of the apartment where the studio is, the recording studio, and there's a place to sleep in there. And um, he stayed here because he was doing a great show last year. I'll see if I can find a link to it, a live show here in New York, which he's done around the country. Um, but it made me think of Ken because when Ken was here, my mom, who has, um, dementia, Alzheimer's, she's sort of in the mid-range of it, was at a particular stage where she was calling me on the phone every 20 seconds. And it was it was crazy. Ken was working sort of uh, in the room next to me, and the phone was ringing so much, and he's such a cool guy, just kind of rode with it, didn't say, what the hell is going on? Um, but I mentioned that for two reasons. I mean, it was a little crazy, and it was certainly... A bit annoying, but then you had to sort of lean into it and realize that this is where this person is, and uh, you figure out ways to make her happy and more comfortable. And we have; she's doing a lot better. And I'm thinking about my mom, obviously, because that's a change um, from what she was—a very, very, very dynamic, um, hyperactive, brilliant, artistic woman. Um, who has is in a very different part of life now, and you have to just roll with it. No kicking and stamping of the feet. Oh, there's probably a little bit of that, but I think about that because I'm looking at a book. I have it in my hand, and it's in her handwriting, which is really, really unique handwriting. I'll take a little picture of it. Um, it says Christmas, Christmas, 1980. Dearest Nan, I know you won't be able to resist this book, and I'm sure. You will add many of your own recipes over the years. Happy baking, love mom. And the book is Made a Heater's Book of Great Chocolate Desserts. Well, my mother was right. 
This book is so darn beat up, you cannot believe it. Um, it has hundreds of Maida heaters. She's sort of the queen of, of desserts or was for, for many years. Um, it has cakes and cookies and pastries and other desserts. And I've probably made 40 or 50 of them. And partly because there was a time in my life that I was incredibly interested in making the perfect, rich, dense little chocolate cake. Now, I didn't want it to be like a piece of fudge, but I wanted it to be so dense and no filling, though I love, I love a chocolate cake with filling, just like one layer covered with either a sort of glacé icing where it just, you just pour it over and it, you know, it smooths out. It's almost like a mirror you can look in. Um, or later, as I've been doing it, a ganache. A ganache is, you know, really, really super simple if I'm remembering it. It's basically chopped chocolate and heavy cream and you melt it down and then it's pourable and it will set, but it won't set hard. Really the best thing to do with ganache is just make it and then keep it in the fridge in like a nice glass measuring cup and eat it with a spoon. Because that's what we all need right now is we all need extra calories. Um, yeah, are you, are you doing new, new Year's resolutions? I think mine is just to be... I don't know, patient and, and do good work. Um, uh, I'm not going to sign up for any new gym memberships or anything like that. Beware. You know they're going to get you. Um, so this book, I've used it many times. I am going to sort of approximate a rest, uh, recipe for you. I'm not going to speak them out. Speak it out here. Oh, hi. You can hear the fire engines next door. I live next to a firehouse. Um, because it's a, it'll be a little complicated, but they're not really very hard to make. It's a, there'll be a simple batter um, with very, very little flour. Remember, you don't overbake. I'll have instructions because the trick to baking is the baking. And then you just pour a nice little glaze over it. I have eaten that in bed with my husband for New Year's, probably watching something goofy or wonderful on the television, maybe with a little Prosecco alongside. Uh, you don't really decorate it very much. I would put a little, a few little candied violets on it or um, maybe a little bit of chopped uh, pecans or something on top. Very simple, very delicious. Um, who loves chocolate? My mother, who now, it's funny. I have a friend, um, a filmmaker who did a small documentary uh, of his mom. She lived in a, she also had memory issues. She lived in a very small house in Minneapolis, I think outside of Minneapolis with, it was she, her and five other women who were also had dementia and they were caretaken in this beautiful home. Very, very nice. And he went to visit her once and they know the people that ran the home served dinner and there was, you know, and the women all completely like picked at their food and moved it around their plate. And then um, <laughs> it was someone's birthday and they brought out a cake and the women ate all the cake and then licked the plates. I guess he had documentary footage of them all licking the plates. Yes, older people, they just love, absolutely love to eat sweets and that's fine. I believe in letting them eat what they want to eat when they're older. Who else loves sweets? Kids, um, Matt Walsh's daughter Coco and I love to bake together. She also adores chocolate and we're always trying to make the deepest, richest chocolate cookies. So that's something people have in common on other sides of the spectrum. Um, and speaking of uh, change, um, I don't write much prose anymore. Um, I used to write a lot of fiction. I have had a little fiction book out. And um, every, every once in a while, a story will pop out. Um, but I did write something a couple of years ago when my dad was failing and he since died, he died in, uh, 
in 2020, not from COVID. Let me actually tell you how my dad died because it's kind of sweet. And, I, and I'm sorry that this pie talk seems to be about some changes in that direction, but I promise we'll, uh, we'll pop up in a minute. Um, so my dad, he was at a place, um, he, he needed to be sort of in a home for a, a little while. And it was a nice place in Rhinebeck, New York, near where my mom's is. And um, he went to lunch uh, with, you know, everybody else in this dining room. And um, then he stopped at the nurse's station and was talking to some of the nurses, the pretty nurses, as I like to imagine them. And his legs kind of got droopy under him and they, they got him back to his room, three nurses, and they got him in bed and they were kind of like tucking him in and rubbing back his hair and he just dipped. And I thought, man, that's really good, good job, dad. Anyway, I wrote this before my dad died, um, but I, I revisit it every couple of years and I, I actually don't have it in hard copy anywhere. I went go the Google machine just now, help me find it. And I noticed that I posted it last year around this time after a dear friend of mine's husband died. It was a friend of mine who we had our babies in the same month uh, and, you know, birth and death. Um, so I'm going to read you this little poem and then we'll get to the recipe. Uh, it's called Three Sets of Keys. I tucked three sets of keys in the zip pocket of my purse. I did not used to do this. For years, I did not know where the keys were, if I even had keys, and if I did, what drawer I'd put them in. For 20 years, it did not matter. I did not need keys. Ringing the buzzer brought the doors flying open, happy screams, food on the stove. Oh, let me hold the baby. The doors have changed. The people inside have grown frail, apologetic for the frailties. Thankful for every tiny kindness, too thankful, too laudatory about our beauty, our strength, that we know how to get the phone working. I tell them, stop, you did this for us. The difference being, my brother and I would grow tall, whereas they are growing small. We have watched two others die. They wizened like apples. I flew across the country for the first death, to be at Dave's bedside. I watched him die. I had seen someone die before, but not like this. There was so much beauty at the moment of death, near audible like a sip through a straw rushing into the night, the skin on his face going taut in an instant, and the color of beeswax. Back home, I tried to better recall where I left the keys, keys that had grown from two sets to three. In addition to my parents, I now had my best friends, what with the parents moving to smaller places, and also, she said, so you have a place to de-stress, plus it's closer to the hospital. The hospital from which your mother calls in the middle of the night to say, come, I don't think I will make it. She makes it. You knew she would. You're not so sure about your dad, who, on the, the last day, earlier today, you found pinned between kitchen and hall, one hand on each wall, knees collapsing. He had given away none of this that you let, as you let yourself in the door, had called, hello, Nan, as though all was right. And when I found him and asked, how long have you been there? He said, not long, and it's this damn plantar fasciitis, which you both know is ridiculous. You get him to agree, yes, it's also something more, some weakness. You make some suggestions about getting help, and he makes the, I don't want to talk about it face. And you go, bo go, bo go back to watching Escape from Alcatraz. This is what he does now. He watches movies. He escapes inside them. I try to have a sweet goodbye, but he does not want anything sentimental, and I wonder if he really does not want it, or if he was going to cry if he thinks about my leaving, as I nearly do, as I let myself out the door. I'm not afraid of dying. I'm not afraid of my parents dying. I'm afraid of the approach. I could say, 
as I type this on the airplane home, like planes coming in for a bad landing. And there is that. There is the ricketiness, the unsteadiness. But the plane analogy is wrong. They are each walking a road alone, my parents. No matter how we prop them up, say we are there. Bring the food and the Tylenol and the walker and clean up the splats on the bathroom floor. They are walking alone. I see one lurching toward the end, dogged, head down. The other looking around, wondering, is there a turnoff? Can I make it? I know where the keys are now. I keep them zipped in the pocket. Someday there will be two sets, and then one, and then perhaps none. Time moves faster. Now that we have a view of the road we will be on, are on, the road I did not consider when walking into the door, handing my ten-week-old to Dave, watching her speak on and on to him and he to her, watching as they spun connection. These metal keys, these keys in my hand, say, I am welcome here. I came from here. I come to you now using the key you entrusted to me. And when these keys no longer fit, when the locks are changed, when others are behind these doors and others carry the keys, where do I go? When my daughter was an infant, I several times woke in the night weeping uncontrollably, waking from what seemed to be waking with what seemed to be cobwebby star stuff stuck to me, as though I had just been transported from deep space, where the truth had been revealed. The most important thing, the only endless thing, was my love for and connection to my child. Her existence placed me on a continuum, a silver cable I previously knew nothing about, could know nothing about, but which I now knew was infinite. My place on the cable let me see only ahead, but of course, our parents are there, right behind, beaming the way, fading back into the darkness, as we will all fade, but never gone, not possible to be gone. It's a comfort to know this, but still, the temporal, the day-to-day, -day, the fear and the wonder, the keys in my hand, destined to be memento. Well, there you go. Um, I read something else really amazing yesterday, and it's funny. I was going to put a link to it here, um, and then I realized it wasn't. It hasn't been published yet. It's a really wonderful, really, really wonderful essay by a guy named Benji. He is a fan of the Fifth Columns, and somehow. His essay that he published on his Substack came to me through our good friend Andrew Wimsat. He alerted us to it. I read it and I was so bowled over. I, I put it on Twitter again, where I hang out. And um, he saw that I did that and he thanked me. And he said, I said to him, listen, dude, because the essay is about Israel. I was like, I, I'm posting people's pieces about Israel. Please, I'm really happy to post anything you want me to post or cross post it. And he said, well, I actually have a different piece that I, I have out for submission now to some places, and I'm telling you the New Yorker should buy it. Um, so may I send you that to read? And I read this piece, and talking about patience and things changing, it, it, his piece, which obviously I can't link to you, but hopefully someday can, is so astounding um, in terms of what people go through and how they keep going on. Um, about change, how it can all, it can change tomorrow in all kinds of ways that we don't even know. So did you come here for this this morning or did you come here for cake or did you come here for both? Um, I'm going to give you um, the recipe to the cake. I don't know if you're going to be able to make it today um, unless you have a six inch spring form pan, but maybe you can, maybe you can go and get one. Maybe Amazon will drone one into you. 
Uh, I wanted to say that there might be a little hiatus in PyTalk. I'm not sure yet. I am going to be home for only five days this month. I am going to be on the West Coast at the beginning of January, and then I'm going to be in Israel, as I said, for two weeks. And I'm not sure. It may be the case that there's a little hiatus. Um, if there is, or even if there isn't, I wanted to say thank you so much to everybody for joining me. Uh, your appreciation of this is wonderful and hilarious. Um, I love the story of people that they, they wind up doing the cooking together. Uh, they wind up making this spaghetti sauce. Spaghetti. spaghetti sauce, the red sauce, my mom's red sauce, my mom again, and putting it in the freezer. And I just especially remember and love the person who said they made the lasagna and their brother-in-law ate something like four helpings. That makes me so happy because, as I've said before, food is love, right? You put it in, you put it in, and you spread it, and that's what we want to do. Let's do that all in the new year and always. I'm sending my love, and we'll see you next time.